Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. We hope that you are all staying well and safe wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the launch of the book titled Agricultural Extension, Global Status and Performance in Selected Countries. I am Catherine Ragasa. I'm one of the editors of the book and a senior research fellow here at IFPRI and I will be moderating this event today. We have an exciting program lined up for you. My co-editors will be presenting highlights of the book and we will also hear insights from a researcher and implementers in the field. We are eager to hear from you. To participate in our Q&A portion of the program, please submit your questions via ifree.org, Facebook, YouTube, and using hashtag askifree at Twitter. For our friends from the media, if you have questions, please contact our media team and their contact details are in our IFPRI website, ifpri.org. To start, I'll call on Dr. Frank Place, the director of the CGIAR research program on policies, institutions, and market for his brief introduction. Over to you, Frank. Thank you very much, Catherine, and let me also welcome everybody to this event. The topic of this book is as important now as it has ever been. There is an increasing proportion of land under agriculture in most countries. The number of farms and farmers in developing countries continues to grow, and there are a myriad of expectations and challenges facing the farm sector, not only to contribute to household well-being, but to feed growing urban and rural populations, to cater for changing diets, and to reduce the environmental footprint of agriculture. The editors of this book are the right ones to be speaking to these topics. They have a passion for this topic and have spent many years studying various aspects of agricultural extension within a broader framework of rural, rural advisory services, which include public extension systems and actors such as the private sector, NGOs, and farmer organizations. If you do a search, you will find that the editors have authored dozens of other important studies on the topic. I am very happy that my program has supported their work as well as the work of others looking at how to improve extension methods and approaches. In this book, the authors amassed unique data sets with which to assess capacity and performance of agricultural extension and use them to compare and contrast results across countries and across approaches to agricultural extension. As you might expect, they find some commonalities as well as differences in the dynamics of agricultural extension across the countries. The recommendations they have for improving agriculture extension are made in a best fit context, mindful of the different contexts and implementation challenges they face in the different countries. So I look forward to the presentation of the main findings and to the insights of the eminent panelists who will help us to chart the way forward for agricultural extension to play an ever important role in contributing to the food, nutrition, income, environmental goals that countries have set for themselves. So with that, back to you, Catherine. Thank you, Frank, for the introduction. I'll call on Dr. Christine Davis, one of the editors of the book and senior research fellow here at IFPRI for a quick overview and summary of the book. Over to you, Christine. Why a book on extension? Agricultural extension is critical to rural transformation. And there's these different drivers or characteristics that affect the 
the extension performance that includes governance, capacity management, and the very methods that are used by extension. These characteristics are affected by the so-called frame conditions, the contextual factors like the policy environment, institutional linkages, and production systems. And your performance of extension or the quality of the services provided then affect farmer attitudes, knowledge, and practices. And this performance of extension then in turn affects outcomes and impact, things like incomes, nutrition, and empowerment. In this book, we use the drivers of extension performance, the so-called best fit characteristics, to improve and recommendations uh, to improve extension systems globally. Next slide. So this best fit analytical framework is one of the things that makes this book special. And the book fills three gaps. First of all, this best fit framework allows us to standardize assessments somewhat across cases and thus ensure comparability across geographies. Secondly, the book gives an, a global status update. We publish new global data and we compare it to some past assessments. And then thirdly, we present a set of in-depth country cases that examine the performance of extension and uh, their impact using new primary and secondary data. Next slide. What's in the book? As far as the contents, it's in two parts. And part one is really this, this global overview of extension from all countries and regions. Chapter two is a landscape view of extension, comparing the recent status to the situation some decades ago using primary data um, from several global assessments. This global picture in chapter two is complemented in chapter three with a synthesis of primary and secondary data on country and regional extension systems, including cases from Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And then part two is these five country case studies examining performance of extension in Brazil, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, Malawi, and Uganda the best fit framework guides the analyses for these case studies. The countries were purposively chosen based on major knowledge gaps, the availability of data, the ability to empirically apply the best fit framework, and then diversity of systems to enable comparisons. The Brazil chapter five, uh, chapter four offers evidence uh, related to the implementation of a new extension policy and system. Uganda chapter provides a rich body of evidence on extension reforms over the decades. The Ethiopia case really represents uh, a country with actually the largest extension cadre, the largest investment in extension in the continent and very large for the rest of the world as well. While Malawi and the Democratic Republic of the Congo represent cases with limited public investment and an increasing role of non-governmental actors. The Democratic Republic of the Congo case also represents a post-conflict country with enormous ag potential. We do realize, of course, that the regional balance for these uh, chapters, especially the country chapters, is not ideal with the heavy focus on the African countries. And ideally, we would have, have had cases from all major regions of the world. But we were constrained by, number one, lack of data, and number two, simply contributors who could uh, help write up their work as part of our book. However, there are large um, volumes, some recent lessons from India and China documented elsewhere, as well as a 
a book on extension reforms in the South Asia region by Dr. Suresh Babu and others. And then finally, the book offers lessons and policy insights across the best fit characteristics to improve the outcomes, ensure financial sustainability, and to achieve greater scale. Next slide. So we don't have time really to go through the findings for each of these drivers, but I did want to share a few findings on the performance of extension. And performance is really that quality of extension as judged by content, relevance, effectiveness, outcomes, and impacts. We see Brazil's public services reaching over 550,000 farmers, farm families out of, out of 4.3 million between 2010 and 2014. In Ethiopia, we see that access to extension significantly increased adoption of modern inputs like improved seed and fertilizer. In Malawi, we see 77% of households receiving extension services and advice in the past two years. And Malawi also showed greater diversity in messages and consistently higher ratings in the perceived usefulness of extension. And then finally, the next slide, we look at access to extension services. Now extension coverage has really traditionally kind of excluded women and youth for the most part. And coverage for these groups has been in increasing, and that's good, but much more improvement is needed. We saw globally that 22% of all organizations reported targeting women farmers and 16% reported targeting youth. Particularly in Africa, there's been a focus on reaching youth, those between 15 and 35 in extension, which is a big change from the 1993 data when rural youth was actually a program of very little importance to most organizations. However, as we see in this slide, in Malawi, youth were less likely to receive extension advice than their older counterparts. And the final slide in conclusion, I just wanna say it's been a brief overview a flavor of what's in the book, and also some selected findings. Dr. Babu is going to give us the recommendations and the conclusions, but first I'd like to turn it back to Dr. Ragasa and hear the regional perspectives, so thanks. Thank you so much, Christine, for the overview of the efforts put into the book and coverage of the chapters included in the book. Um, I just want to remind the viewers that you can submit your questions we are eager to hear from you. You can use ifpre.org, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter to send your questions. Our next speaker is Professor Margaret Najingu Mangeni of Makarere University to talk to us her perspective on Africa and more specifically on Uganda. Over to you, Margaret. Thank you very much, Catherine, and uh, allow me now to first of all congratulate IFPRI for publishing such an important book to the, to the world, and also to congratulate the, the editors and also the authors of this important book. I'm giving the African perspective. Next slide. And the, uh, the first point I want to make, as has already mentioned, been mentioned, is the fact that agriculture extension is a key area of investment for virtually all African countries in the effort to drive their economies. And as we invest in agriculture extension or agriculture broadly, one of the key issues or areas that actually this book touches using empirical data 
from the countries that were studied and all over the world is the issue of sustainable and adequate financing. While there are targets for increasing financing for agriculture in general and also agriculture extension in particular, there is need for methods and data to be able to drive the decision making in this area because investment has to be informed by the evidence. So I hail this book for being able to put that data out as a starting point so that we are able to see the value for money that can be evidence to drive investments by governments and other donors. The other one is in a, in a, in a bid to sustain the funding, issues of who pays. Extension in many African countries has been funded by development partners uh, majorly, but countries are coming in to fund. But the issue of what, who pays for what, sometimes there is uh, paying for inputs as opposed to advisory services, that's still an area of contention. And this book gives us a lot of evidence on that as well. And lastly, incentivizing beneficiaries to pay or cost share. It's important that as we modernize and, become, and make agriculture business, the business orientation, uh, producers or farmers in general and other value chain actors have to be incentivized or convinced to actually be able to pay uh, or cost share for services. So evidence, again, is important in this regard. And I hail this book for this contribution as well. Next slide, please. The other aspect is um, coverage because uh, the, the, as, of, as of now, extension and advisory services have not been able to reach all that need to be served. There are lots of underserved areas, unserved areas, and unserved people. As uh, Christine gave us the synopsis of the book, we had about the youth, women, but also now as private sector invests in agriculture, many of the private sector actors are not well served. Again, evidence in that regard is very, very important. And then the issue of diversity or pluralism, because uh, predominantly the public sector has been a key player in extension and advisory services, but we are beginning to see increasing investment by other actors from the private sector, civil society. We see innovators in the value chain, the traders, the farmer trainers, entrepreneurs of various kinds. So this brings in a need to be able to develop the capacities of these diverse providers being able to harness them uh, so that they're able to function as a system well-coordinated and well-regulated. So issues of this kind require, again, scholarship and evidence and, and learning to see how the system can function effectively. Next slide, please. And, and then governance. Uh, we, we have these various structures that are complex. Whenever you have pluralism, many people intervening in various aspects and then having the outcomes that are now very, very critical in terms of increasing food security, nutrition security, and looking at issue of sustainability and inclusive growth. We need to make sure that there are structures and processes to ensure that actors are moving together in tandem. So therefore, harnessing this diversity of, of clientele of extension and actors and making sure that as we do so, we are gender responsive and we are also market oriented. It's something that is really complex and requires understanding and really scholarship again. So this book again has touched on this and it's a key, it's a key contribution that I think they bring on board in supporting extension and advisory services in Africa. Next slide, please. Uh, looking ahead, as we mention all these aspects, it's important that there is a system that is systematic and is harmonized 
drawing all these lessons from the different countries and also being able to put them together at a global at a regional level first of all but also at a global level and we need structures for cross-learning for sharing and systematic analysis and I, I want to mention here the African Forum for Culture Advisory Services, which, for which I'm a member. And this one at the regional level in Africa is already in place. There are country fora, which are linked to the global forum for rural advisory services at the continental level. So these structures exist to be able to carry forward the kind of efforts that have been started by this book or the scholars in this book, being sure that actors in the country, government, private sector, civil society, academia, and researchers are able to reflect on reforms as they unfold in extension. They are able to draw lessons and learn together, but also bring this learning forward to the continental level and then to the global level, so that at the end of the day, we are able to distill lessons that can be able to, to uh, inform practice and policy at the various levels. And it's my hope that the book, sorry, I, I find this book actually a key one that has potential to stimulate improved practice, first of all, but also professional and policy debates at different levels and hopefully further research in extension. As we professionalize extension, it's important that scholarship and research is at the center of it, driving the policy, the strategies and practice at the various levels. And once again, I, con I really congratulate Ifpri and the authors in the book and the editors and hope that this effort will be carried forward by others. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Margaret, for your remarks, for your perspective and for echoing findings of the book. And also thank you for your articulation of the value addition and contribution of the book. I like what you said that this is a good, very good starting point, And hopefully this could be the start of more research and more investment in the area. So from Africa, we go to Latin America. And I would like to call on Ben, uh, her Ben, Correa da Silva, State Coordinator for Personnel and Career Development in Parana, Brazil, to provide his perspective on Latin America and more specifically on Brazil. So over to you, Herben. Thank you, Catherine. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank for the invitation for this launching. Um, I'm very pleased and honored to be here because being an extensionist all my, along all my career, which is a not short one, I must say, uh, uh, it's very good to see uh, something like um, a very broad uh, overview of extension. Um, and I'll point out some of the aspects that I really enjoy uh, in the book. Uh, I would like to say that uh, it's a piece of work that can, will be, I think is very useful, will be very useful to um, all people involved in rural extension. Um, looking forward to have um, a Spanish version or in Portuguese would be even more challenging. But uh, I think it's a piece of work that will help us to look into the rural extension on the, uh, on the way it should be looked into. Uh, so it's a quite welcoming uh, launching. I follow some of the works uh, during the uh, research, especially in Brazil. And uh, I'm sure we're going to find there a lot of um, information that's relevant for policy making or for practitioners or for extensionists as well. Uh, 
uh, in fact, uh, I think what I, I like most in the book is the, actually the, the best fit characteristics approach. And, and why I like that, because it contemplates uh, the various dimensions of extension services. Uh, it looks uh, and it has a holistic uh, look or view of extension. And surprisingly, uh, the holistic nature of extension and its complexity uh, are often overlooked or neglected. Uh, in general, donors, governments, and ministries uh, are very much interested in getting extension to sort out their problems, the specific problems. And normally, uh, they tend to forget the nature of the of extension, the purpose, and, and especially the needs of extension. Uh, everybody uh, likes to have uh, extension doing things and getting results in the field. Uh, not many people look at the needs of the extension. And uh, I'm, I'm more or less not pessimistic, but I'm very critic about the, the cycle of the extension that we are going through uh, in the world, and especially in Latin America, uh, because we had had um, better times, uh, definitely, in the past. Uh, and the book shows it. I mean, the, the research, the studies and the data and the analysis and the policy recommendations and conclusions, they corroborate what I'm saying. Um, in fact, it shows the, the role extension can play, uh, this potential, but it, it does show uh, its shortcomings, its limitations uh, that uh, is going on in the world. Um, I think what uh, the book uh, is very lucky or very good at is to, to show the pluralism that we are facing nowadays in extension. It's a new thing, it's a new cycle. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm afraid this cycle can be better explained by its uh, weakness, by its weaknesses and shortcomings rather than uh, its achievements. Uh, nevertheless, uh, extension is achieving my opinion is that, uh, and the book corroborates that, that uh, despite the fact that uh, little attention is paid and investment is low in extension, uh, it achieves uh, quite a lot in terms of promoting agriculture development and, and rural development. Uh, it shows some trends like um, uh, including in the audience uh, women and, and youth uh, still very uh, short in terms of uh, the need that we have uh, and the trend of the, the uh, communication technology, information communication technology ticks. That's a trend that is coming very quickly. Uh, but the book also points out that it's not very much connected with the communication education uh, view or, or characteristic of extension. And also there's a risk of uh, uh, these uh, would uh, increase exclusion uh, because the, the majority of the farmers have no access to the, the digital world. Uh, they can't afford, they, they, they have the, the means and there's no internet available or um, telephone uh, available in, in the countryside for the majority. And also we can see that uh, I would like to point out one thing that for us is, is very important. Uh, the idea that extension should be very broad uh, in, in terms of its objectives. And there is a tendency for being very focused on uh, technolo uh, technological issues and uh, addressing agricultural production rather than 
rural development. Um, finally, I would like to point out uh, that uh, despite the fact that uh, the last two or three decades we lack uh, policies, public policies for extension investment, uh, one good thing that's going on is the the Latin American network, uh, which is connected to the uh, Global Forum, uh, which is uh, promoting dialogue um, among uh, stakeholders and the country fora, uh, as in Africa and in Asia, but in Latin America is achieved uh, uh, quite uh, good results in terms of approaching stakeholders and uh, uh, making advocacy, which extension needs so much nowadays. And in terms of the research that was done in Brazil, uh, I think it's a very good piece of research that shows an attempt for extension to be very broad, connected to official policies, public policies, and looking for a, a variety of objectives connected to, to uh, human development, uh, uh, environment, uh, and uh, income, and broadening the audience and targeting specific audiences that have been left out uh, historically. Uh, that's what I think is a, is a very good uh, news, uh, this book. I'm very glad that I'm, I could be involved in some of the, the, this work uh, through the Global Forum, Forum and uh, RELACER, the Latin American Network. And um, I congratulate the authors and the publication. And um, I'm looking forward to, to have some, some of it uh, translated to, to Spanish and Portuguese so more people can benefit from it um, in, 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 uh, down here in, in, in Latin America. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Herben. Thank you for your kind words on the efforts made in the book. Uh, especially the depth of the analysis and the research. I like how you pointed out, you know, the ups and downs of funding and investment in agricultural extension. And I also, you know, like, you know, how you uh, put it that, you know, the, the book has, you know, made significant effort to put in the balance of describing and assessing the weaknesses and also the achievements of agricultural extension over the decades, over the years. So we'll make sure that we will be translating the book or parts of the book in Spanish or Portuguese. So thank you for that suggestion. Moving on, I would like to call on Dr. Suresh Babu, Senior Research Fellow and the Head of the Capacity Strengthening Unit here at IFPRI and one of the editors of the book to provide the key findings and some of the recommendations coming out of the book. Suresh, over to you. Thank you, Catherine. Um, it's uh, wonderful to be part of this um, uh, effort uh, on extension from IFPRI. Uh, IFPRI has uh, worked on extension issues for a long uh, time now, and, uh, and this uh, book uh, that is uh, uh, now being launched is uh, one of the gamut of those efforts, and uh, um, and I, I will quickly present the synthesis and conclusions of this book for uh, encouraging debates, dialogues, and and questions as we continue with this launch event. Next slide, please. I will I will kind of connect that with the uh, initial presentation that uh, uh, Kristen Davis made. Uh, about uh, the framing conditions with which we develop the 
the chapters of the book and uh, the drivers and the characteristics are really important to understand uh, in terms of uh, how an extension system operates from the policy institutional technical and and individual levels and also the performance at all these levels as well as in, in camp, uh, outcomes and and, and and the impact that we are looking for but in from that context i will i will present some um, conclusions and and synthesis of results uh, and and uh, uh, what we can look ahead in terms of uh, um, the future research and, and and policy implications of this book next slide please the key findings of uh, the book uh, revolves around four major broad policy recommendations. We would like to see that extension policy is taken seriously at the national level, and it is not only part of agricultural development policy, but in, on its own right as, as a extension policy and a strategy that is explicitly, ex explicitly uh, written and followed in terms of implementation. That's something helps the countries to keep track of what they are doing and how they want to uh, go about implementing extension programs. But we also talked about the funding mechanisms. Uh, how do we fund extension once we have a policy, once we identify the strategies, how do we fund the mechanisms of extension, operations of extension, and where do the fund, funds come from? That is more important. And in terms of understanding who is investing in what, particularly in the context of the pluralistic extension, is also important and and uh, it's not just the policy but also following up uh, that policy with the funding is important and who is mobilizing the platform for mobilizing the funding who is who is coming together in a form of multi-stakeholder you know initiative to mobilize the funding uh, for extension is important and then comes the coordination efforts we talk about the pluralistic extension which is the new state of the world in in extension but who is doing what? How do we coordinate among ourselves? Again, it requires harmonization and working together and identifying the gaps that each one of the players can fill. And that is very important. Even within the public extension system, how do we various multi-sectors or sub-sectors come together to coordinate their actions, act, actions at the farm level is important. And finally, how do we make the extension not supply-driven, but demand-driven? Demand-driven in the context of what is really needed, as Gurban said, what is really needed from the farmer's perspective, from the smallholder's perspective, from the medium-older uh, perspective, and large-scale perspective? How can we organize extension systems and the information uh, that is coming from research and innovation in order to address the needs of the farmers? That is very important. Otherwise, we become uh, not very relevant, and the content of the messages that we spread or give to the farmers will not be relevant. So these are the broad uh, recommendations that's coming out of the book. And of course, this is known, but these recommendations have to be converted into context-specific, locality-specific, organizational approach to extension. Next slide, please. And some of the specific issues that we talk about and the recommendations we make is that improving the monitoring and evaluation system. How do we understand how the uh, extension system as an organization is uh, operating on the ground. How do we monitor the progress? How do we identify the success indicators and failure indicators and keep the system functioning effectively and efficiently? That's, that's something that we need to build capacity on, but that's, that's one of the things that's coming out of the book lessons. Training and upgrading the skills of the professionals. And some of the countries have professionals who are almost retiring now, and their skills and knowledge have not been updated for a long time. But in the, in the meantime, 
the food system is changing the agriculture transformation is happening new crops and innovations are coming in but the the professionals themselves have not kept up with the knowledge how do we how do you work with them and then build their capacities and bring in new knowledge to the to the to the extension workers themselves and then participation from the farmers and stakeholders it's not just the farmers but people who play on the uh, uh, the role in the value chains and how do we provide information to all the actors and players in a value chain for example and how do we bring them to participate in deciding on what kind of information they need what are the problems that they face and how can we address this problem from the extension perspective is very important then of course emerging new technologies uh, of uh, uh, digital technologies we talk about drones being used but that also brings automation uh, and uh, additional uh, capacity strengthening needs for farmers also the actors and players who are involved in station uh, of agriculture digitization of agriculture but that is very important but how do we uh, integrate that with the extension approaches is something that uh, we should uh, talk about and and explore about and also come up with uh, new approaches for that that we also highlight in the book and finally meeting the emerging needs of the farmers so is it nutrition needs or uh, for example dietary diversity needs and and climate change needs or even addressing the pandemic uh, uh, that we are facing right now is something like how do we meet the emerging needs is it should be constant kind of vigil uh, in terms of extension program development and implementation next uh, slide please uh quickly looking ahead uh, we need to be thinking about how to change the system constantly to meet the needs uh, how do we connect with the research on the one hand and also look at how the food system itself is rapidly evol evolving and how do we adjust the systems accordingly and extension system needs to transform in terms of uh, uh, meeting the needs of uh, growing agriculture in terms of high value agriculture export oriented agriculture and so on next slide please um finally little bit of looking ahead um, uh, there is growing role of private sector that we are observing in extension systems and how do we complement and supplement that with uh, the private sector extension other pluralistic extension is very important and that thought process has not really evolved at the national level uh, people are working independently in the pluralistic extension system but coordination is uh, uh, for effectiveness is very important and we also talked about the changing environment climate change and pandemics how do we meet that requirements and what are the emerging opportunities with the new big data that we have uh, and and the new data science that we are working on in terms of addressing extension challenges finally uh, the the issue of reaching to marginalized farmers still remains and extension has to play an important role and research on extension needs to continue thank you Thank you, Suresh. Thank you for going us through the whole book and great job in summarizing the 400, 500 page you know, book. Okay, we are um, in our last you know, speaker. Uh, we are expecting the Honorable Bright Ramirama. Research program on policies, transition, and markets. Dr. Christine Davis, Senior Research Fellow, IFPRI. Dr. Suresh C. Babu, Senior Research Fellow and Head of Capacity Strengthening, 
representatives from academia and agricultural research institutions, senior public and government officials present, members of the British Station Fraternity, ladies and gentlemen. I'm happy and honored to be with you today to officiate the launching of the book entitled Agriculture Extension Global Status and Performance in Selected Countries. And with great humility, I wish to take this opportunity to thank the International Food Policy Research Institute for sponsoring the development and publication of this important piece of knowledge. And also for giving me the privilege to officiate at this function. This publication could not have come to a better time this when agriculture extension globally and specifically in developing countries in transition from previous public sector dominated system to pluralism that is embracing a variety of approaches and methodologies. The evidence presented today respects that agriculture transformation and movement are critical to the livelihood of more than a billion small-scale farmers, the majority of whom are large in subsistence. They are, also, they, they are also important for national goals of industrialization and other actors such as large-scale farmers, agro-industry, and other investors in agriculture. Challenges such as low productivity, food insecurity, and malnutrition, food price prices, natural resources inclusion, changing and uncertainty markets, environmental degradation, climate change, and human health crises, such as COVID-19 directly impact on agriculture and rural development. The underlying context of the problem highlighted above linked production markets and, uh, and governance are reinforced in the context in which the key relationship between the public and private sector have been weak and in some instances non-existent, creating an underlying development challenge. I am happy to note that this book is adding a body of knowledge and contribution solving these development challenges. As most of you may be aware, governing bodies from, from the public sector Critical role protecting citizens' rights through the establishment of regulatory framework to guide markets and support equitable economic growth across the society. Private sector, through its inherent profit driven model, plays a critical role in driving the growth through constructive analysis of market demands at local level. It offers viable opportunities for sustainable economic growth that creates new markets, employment, and livelihood across the society. Civil society often termed as watchdog of society play an instrumental role to ensure society, socially responsible economic growth through its advocacy role for vulnerable and vulnerable marginalized segments of our society. The embodiment of these key institutions have been the gist of agriculture extension of, of reforms globally over the last three decades. 
The book provides its, its empirical evidence and lessons learned in selected countries, which have to be, which have to consider as we go forward. Therefore, I wish to thank all all the experts who have made contribution in putting this book together. As you may be aware, advocacy extension and advisory services are here in the addressing the challenges highlighted above by, by assisting farmers and other balancing actors with advice and information, programming and facilitating innovations and relationship and dealing with risks and deserts and disasters. Agriculture extension sector is key to increasing farmers' knowledge on new agricultural technologies and practices that can help countries modernize and reduce poverty. As demonstrated in many countries, for example, in the United States, China, India, South Korea, among others. Over the last two decades, government of Uganda has took the most, the most far-reaching agricultural reforms efforts in Africa as part of the broad, broad strategy. Modernize and reduce poverty in rural areas. The policy shift was from public sector supply driven to provide sector demand driven agriculture extension services delivery system. One of the most studied approaches in Uganda was the National Agriculture Advisory Services or NADS, which started in 2001. NADS came about the government came about under the government's Poverty Eradication Action Plan, which is planned for the modernization of agriculture as a platform to reduce poverty in the agriculture sector. The platform for modernization of agriculture assigned priorities to boosting agriculture extension services through NADS. Although the program initially registered a remarkable success for the participating households in terms of farmer improvement, that is 77%. Increased agricultural income moved from 37, uh, uh, which is in, uh, uh, which is translates 95%, and the rate of return from investment uh, 8 to 49%. The program suffered a number of policy failures largely attributed to inadequacies in the, 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 the domestication. Of global policies of change, i.e., globalization, liberalization, privatization, decentralization, and civil service reforms. Arising out of the shortcomings in policy, the government of Uganda adopted yet another agriculture extension reform in 2014, doubling the single spine agricultural extension system. It is, it is a decentralized, pluralistic extension system that brings together the public sector, private sector, and civil society to work together. Collaboratively and synergistic to foster service delivery, agriculture extension has been a critical element of government policies for rural development and modernization. In Uganda, the government has invested significantly in improving provision of agriculture extension and other In general, documentation of the policy and program constraints that extension services face inadequate and is only one limited 
evidence on which policy and the programs, program reforms could be increased uh, performance and improve development outcome. As a policy maker, I need evidence and other information on which to make a decision to know which approaches are best for the government's national goal and objectives. This book is a, is a useful resource because it provides a global overview of agriculture extension and advisory services. So I can see what the trend have, what, what the trends have been over time. The book also assesses the and compares the extension system at the national and regional level, examines the performance of extension approach in the selected set of countries cases and share creation and policy insight. It is always useful to see what other countries are and the region are doing. The African Forum for Agriculture Advisory Services and Global Forum Network have, have erased, erased out of ongoing reforms efforts globally and should be supported to serve as a platforms for exchange experiences for exchange experiences and knowledge on agriculture extension. The Food Agriculture Organization of the United Nations has a critical role play in the global knowledge and management and exchange. The recommendations to policymakers on how to inform extension according to best fit characteristics. So the so-called uh, frame conditions each country has based on its political environment and natural resources, farming and market system, and uh, and social, social economic state. The recommendations <coughs> come under uh, governance, capacity management, and advisory method, and aim to improve outcomes, enhance financial sustainability, and achieve greater scale. This year, uh, this year has shown us that the world is constantly changing, and so the need of agriculture extension uh, clientele are changing too. Therefore, is indeed uh, research is indeed to continuously update our knowledge of what works and why in the drivers of natural development and modernization as the food <coughs> and agriculture sector continues to rapidly resolve extension and advisory services was also transformed to meet new needs and challenges. This includes expansion of high value agriculture, the growing role of the private sector increasing pluralistic systems, natural resources constraints, and limited change, and the emergence of opportunities to use big data and digital approaches to improve extension services. In this <coughs> challenging context, more uh, ambition, ambitious uh, objectives are needed to assess 
and the evaluate extension and evaluation services. The best fit framework can be to evaluate performance and impact by looking at how extension service characteristics fit within the prevailing environment and what policy reforms are needed. More evaluation than a link extension, extension advisory services to outcomes and impact in rural communities to provide additional impetus for support for these, uh, for these services that uh, are critical to over a billion small scale and marginalized farmer uh, worldwide. <clears throat> I wish to conclude by extending my sincere appreciation to the experts who have taken their time and resources to get this book published and that the IFR, IFPRI for facilitating process to this day. I wish to appeal to governments around the world still, still, still grappling with reforms of the extension services to utilize this book and draw the experience in order to guide their reforms, their reformer efforts. It is therefore my greatest honor and pleasure to launch this book entitled I will fight extension global status and performance in selected countries. And I thank you very much. So I'll go ahead with uh, the question and answer portion of the program. So please submit your questions, be brief, include your name and your institution if you wish. So I will um, ask one question at a time and I will direct it to the speaker um, who will respond. And I might have to consolidate the questions to save on time. So let me start with um, Christine. One of the findings of the book is the need for linkages, research and extension, you know, linkages and coordination. We have been talking about this uh, for many years, for decades. So can you give us examples of programs or countries where there are promising results towards greater linkages and coordination? Christine, do you want to respond and give some remarks? Sure, thanks. And I hope you can hear me okay now. We there are it. actually, yeah, this is an age old problem, the research extension, farmer education linkages, and now today, coordination of pluralistic extension services. However, we have seen a couple of interesting or useful examples in Malawi, for instance, we've got the National Agriculture Content Development Committee started in 2014, um, which is a good start. As long as it's funded, um, this committee should be able to strengthen coordination. In the Latin American uh, context, there was a big study done in Latin America with RELACER, the Latin American network that Hurben mentioned. Innovation platforms are showing promise, and that, of course, brings together multiple actors for coordination. Other promising mechanisms can also contribute. For instance, we've got the Digital Green COCO, Connect Online, Connect Offline platform, which collects data online or offline and 
computes statistics about adoption and yields and provides timely and relevant information for decision making, connecting, you know, the people in the field back to the, the offices and so forth. And then finally, there's an interesting approach in Rwanda that has a like a tripartite sort of contract for the actors um, where, where they make um, contracts between the extension service providers, um, the local government, um, and the farmers themselves. And, and these three-party performance contracts are really useful as well. So that's a few of the answers. You'll have to read the book in full to find more. Catherine? Thank you, Christine. The next question is from Juniper Kiss, a PhD student at University of Southampton, UK. And the question is, why do you think extension services are underfunded despite you know, some research of highly successful um, impacts of extension you know, approaches? So I will direct this to um, Herben to give you know, some remarks and also Margaret, if you want you know, to come in and provide you know, some remarks. First, Herben, and then Margaret, if you want to come in. Over to you. Hey, thank you, Catherine. Well, uh, it's really puzzling. Um, such a an, uh, useful and effective uh, service like extension uh, has been underfunded. Uh, we have uh, in Latin America, uh, an, an understanding that uh, governments are very much under pressure uh, from other sectors demands uh, education health services security in brazil is a big issue uh, so this, the public spending um, has been uh, addressing those uh, huge demands of these countries uh, this is one point one one side of the coin but the, the, the other side is uh, that governments are letting um, the commercial sector or the private sector deal with um, the technology demand and, and the, the knowledge demand in the, in the field. Uh, this is a problem. Uh, in, in case of Brazil, um, we had almost two decades of uh, official policies uh, and investment and extension. Um, Brazil managed to reorganize the system, public and private uh, actors uh, in extension. And with the change of the government and the national policy, all those efforts uh, went down the drain. Uh, I mean, there is no more funding practically for extension at national level. Uh, there is no coordination. All the, the coordinating mechanisms have been uh, um, uh, terminated uh, and now we are struggling to rebuild um, a, a new policy that can bring back the attention of the, the government to the sector. Uh, why it's a problem? Because the majority of the farmers uh, and they produce most of the food staple in the countries, uh, they won't be uh, att uh, attractive for the private sector. It's not, they are not profitable yet. And, and there is a role for the government. So it's a matter of politics and it's a matter of uh, option, political option uh, for a country that um, uh, end up being with this shortage of funding. That's our understanding. Thank you. Thank you, Herben. There's a related question, so I will direct it to Margaret. 
um, how do you translate extension policies into investments or funding on the ground for projects and programs on agricultural extension? Margaret, your remarks. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the, the question again, uh, Catherine, is how you translate policies into investment programs on the ground? Correct. Yes. Okay, thank you. The, one can talk about the ideal way to do it, and I, I would say that the best way to do it is that one has to be really participatory, making sure that all actors are on board, especially in an environment of pluralism where you have the public sector as the driver that leads the policy formulation, but also charged with regulation and quality assurance, but then not implementing alone. So it's very important that there is a mechanism or an institutional framework that is systematic, first of all, for disseminating the policy and explaining it to all actors so that they are able to understand it and internalize it. And then each one of them can be able to now come up with ways in which to implement it in their own um, areas of work. So I see one something that I would recommend, first of all, the process being participatory from the beginning and then uh, when implementation comes on, again, making sure that all actors are on board and that there are frameworks for them to engage and even feed into the process because there has to be learning as, uh, as the implementation is going on. There has to be data. And that's why a kind of systematic synthesis of, of the implementation process and outcomes is very important, feeding back into any revisions that need to be played in place. So ideally that's what happens, but as we know many times, it's not the case. Thank you so much, Margaret. Um, there's another question on funding. It's really a hot you know, topic, as you can tell. So let me uh, direct it to Herben again. And the question is, how about the political economy of extension policy? For example, federal to state relations. How does the funds allocated between research and extension and other priorities? Um, for example, in Brazil, how is it done, Herben? If you can provide some remarks, that will be very useful. Herben? Okay. Right. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there is a, a struggle for access of uh, public revenue, public funding uh, from all parts. Uh, uh, this struggle is not um, uh, easy for uh, the weakest, um, the weaker uh, sectors. In the case of Brazil, the family farmers uh, managed for a while to influence the government to invest. And then we, uh, it was designed a, a system where the federal government would pour money into the system, uh, financing or funding public organizations in the states and also private organizations, profitable and unprofitable ones, uh, creating a, a more a pluralistic um, environment in terms of extension. Uh, the thing is, uh, these sectors uh, have a specific interests. And then research in Brazil is very much focused on commodities for exports, uh, the public research system. Uh, extension also struggle or shift from one side to the other, uh, focusing on commodity production and then uh, 
some sectors of the extension focusing on food staple production. Uh, the key for this is looking for an equilibrium. Uh, in order to have an equilibrium of these sectors accessing funding, um, and then will allow the system to focus on the different uh, needs or on the different specific uh, audiences and situations, uh, it requires a, a coordinated system. Uh, Brazil tried to create a national system of extension, creating a national policy, linking public and private uh, state, uh, providers in, in, in a coordinated way uh, with the committees organizing and participating, trying to link uh, research extension and uh, education. Uh, I know that Colombia has created a very interesting uh, system of innovation, integrating all these actors um, and, and a decentralized um, uh, management system. Uh, they are struggling to, to build that. It's a, it's a very good and a very innovative uh, policy in terms of Colombia. But on the whole, but on the whole in the region, uh, countries, governments and private sectors are still struggling and fighting for their own interests. Uh, I would finalize saying that uh, what we need in extension is build up uh, a leadership in the country that will aggregate, will integrate private and public sector, uh, setting up goals that would uh, benefit uh, uh, the different needs that we have uh, uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the countryside, in agriculture, in rural development, and benefiting the different audiences. Uh, right now in Brazil, uh, the, the commercial farmers, uh, the commercial farmers are in power in terms of agricultural policy. Um, therefore, the majority of the farmers have been neglected in terms of fisher policy. This is something not uh, very productive for a country. Uh, it happens uh, as a result of politics. And from us uh, of extension, I think we have to make clear that we need an equilibrium and then uh, the things will be better for, for all. Thank you. Thank you, Ferben. The next question is directed to you, Suresh. So it seems clear in the book that attention to youth has been increasing, but youth are still largely with less access to extension services. So Suresh, are there examples of in programs or countries that promote more youth engagement as service providers and to promote you know, greater access to youth uh, towards you know, agricultural services, including extension services? To you, Suresh. Thank you, um, uh, Christine. Uh, this is an important question uh, because youth are also uh, youth are now seen by the countries as part of agricultural transformation um, and um, it, it, we can look at youth from both perspectives as future producers as well as uh, um, those who are employed in agriculture or employed by agriculture or also we can see them as youth entrepreneurs in the agriculture and rural sector and all this uh, require um, understanding of the youth needs and how they can be effectively uh, engaged in agriculture and rural sector in general. Um, but that translates into what kind of policies and programs that we are putting in place for youth. 
And coming back particularly to the question on extension, youth have uh, a, a fantastic role to play, particularly those come from the farms who have a good understanding of the farming and farming issues, can be further trained through vocational training um, to become particularly the connectors to the, the rural areas themselves through the technologies that we are talking about, the digital technologies. So that is something that we need to be seriously thinking about in the extension arena. How do we engage the youth, not just to receive the extension training or extension messages as farmers, but to turn them around as the service providers to the extension uh, um, system itself, in the extension system itself for the farmers. So that requires, of course, looking at various pathways, how youth can be employed and engaged in the rural areas and particularly in agribusinesses, for example. Um, that is something that we are working on right now. And how do we strengthen the capacity of, uh, of the youth? Uh, some of the examples that we are working on in Nigeria, particularly, for example, the end power gives an opportunity to massively train youth in agricultural operations and, and put them back in the farms for uh, uh, as, as productive and, and successful uh, entrepreneurial ori oriented uh, production uh, farmers, as well as uh, engaging themselves in the extension system, input supply, output aggregation, farmer-based organizations, value chains, and even agribusiness incubators. You know, they, they, they can come in and work with the agribusiness incubators and start a business if uh, the funding mechanism and mentorship and the multi-stakeholder platforms can be set up for youth. So there are a lot of opportunities that we can do uh, in terms of extension and youth, not just as receivers of information, but also as deliverers, uh, deliverers of uh, extension. Um, so I, I hope I just kind of broadly addressed that question. Thank you. Thank you so much, Suresh. Um, we have uh, received several questions on gender, and I'll combine two of them, and I'll direct the question to Christine. One question is from Ruchi Tripathi, and her question is, extension for women smallholder farmers is a priority. However, often health and nutrition interventions or extension services target women while the agriculture, production, marketing, extension are targeted to men. So how do we rectify this? And then the other related question is, in the results of the book, it seems that you know, gender gap is reducing over the years, but still, it's still you know, an issue. There's still you know, gender gap. So are there examples of programs or countries where uh, there has been you know, promising results in terms of greater gender equality, in terms of access to agricultural extension services? So over to you, Christine. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, yes, thank you for your question, Ruti. Um, Definitely, I think there's some examples of uh, programs that, that do target women instead of, you know, just looking at women in, in health and, and nutrition and, and men for production. Uh, the smallholder uh, horticulture empowerment program that started in Kenya, now it's upscaling to 24 some countries funded by uh, JICA, uh, the Japanese International uh, Funding Agency. Um, they target the family as a household. And there's been a lot of results that show that decision-making has improved by involving both men and women in the horticulture production. Uh, the Developing Local Extension Capacity Project funded by Feed the Future also did some studies on 
uh, information that targets both men and women uh, for agricultural production and not just for health and nutrition. In terms of uh, the other countries or programs that have seemed to have positive results or achieve greater gender equality, um, in India, the farm science centers, the KVKs, have been shown to be effective at increasing income and self-confidence in women. There's an approach in Malawi called the household approach that has been shown to change perceptions and behavior about shared work in the household, about responsibility and joint decision-making. And there's also a lot of radio programming in, in extension, especially in Malawi. And as we go and think about ICTs, let's not forget about you know, some of the tried and true methods like radio. Um, there's a lot of participatory radio and, and some of the radio in Malawi has shown that this programming of the radio has started to change perception and behavior about gender equality. I think what's important getting back to Ruti's question is that this gender transformative approach is really important. You can't just target the women on one side and just the men on the other side without you know, understanding cultural values and norms and, and engaging the whole community in transformation and in extension. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you so much for that comprehensive answer, Christine. So we know that there are some good examples that we can draw upon from other countries and existing programs. So the next you know, question, uh, I will direct it to Margaret. And this is from Walter Odongo from Gulu University in Uganda. The question is, how best can extension agents be equipped with up-to-date skills and knowledge, especially for a developing country like Uganda, where coordination is really a problem? Yes, definitely. Thanks, Thanks Catherine. And I think Margaret is, is the best one to answer this. Um, However, Margaret and I and the rest of the Global Forum for Rural Advisory Services and the African Forum for Agricultural Advisory Services have been working on something called the New Extensionist Learning Kit, which many of you will have heard about. Um, and this talks about equipping extension agents, whether they be public or private or, or working for the civil society or farmer organizations, with the functional skills in addition to the technical skills that extension agents often receive. So in addition to working on production of animals or crops or natural resource management, you also need to know how to communicate. You need to know about adult education. You need to know about farmer group development. Um, and you can also get skills related to coordination about innovation platforms and so forth. There's many skills that I feel are lacking in, in the extension officers around the world. And we have, we didn't have time in, in the short presentations today to talk about the skills aspect, but um, a lot of uh, extension agents do not receive continuing education. In Nigeria, we found that extension agents hadn't been trained in 30 years in some of the states since they were first hired. I see Margaret's back on, so maybe she can uh, talk me up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Catherine. In answer to that question, uh, in answer to that question from Walter in Gulu, I think First of all, we need to be able to, as ex to, to build the capacity of extension agents to be very open to continuous learning. And those of us, I teach at Makerere University, so those of us who train them, we need to be able to equip them with the right kinds of attitudes and skills to seek for information so that they are up to date. 
And I like the fact that you've mentioned that the capacities of our systems are not there to be able to provide the, the, the training all the time. So they need to be able to seek out for the right information that requires them to be connected uh, within the country, to be connected to each other, but also regionally and globally so that they are able to source information because this is an information age. So I think those skills are important. And of course, digital literacy is very important, information seeking behavior and being able to problem solve uh, but, but also then the, the policies are in the government as well to be able to have programs that are able to keep them up to date. So it requires innovation at all angles, mindset change on behalf on, on the side of the agents themselves, but also institutions that uh, avail those opportunities to be there so that they are really up to date. Flexibility and dynamism is very key. Thank you, Margaret. And uh, we're happy that you're back online you know yeah and i have to ask i have to direct again the next question to you because it's something related from angela manjingi teacher of ispm in mozambique the question is in what ways can we use the book findings to improve agriculture extension curriculum can we argue for a standard extension curriculum to be used by agricultural colleges over to you for short remarks margaret okay Thank you. Uh, certainly the book is very, very important in terms of uh, feeding. It has, it's rich in terms of materials for those of us who train uh, in universities, in colleges, at, at, you know, and at other various levels. Uh, but I would be cautious to say that there would be a standard curriculum because, again, it depends on context. Curricular books to be context countries. So it means that we need to be able... Okay, I, we're losing Margaret. But I think he has, she has answered uh, uh, the question. And she will come back again later on. Margaret, I, I'll ask uh, the next you know, question now. So my next question is to um, Herburn. And this is from Marcus Pietotto from Federal Senate of Brazil. And the question is, Brazil's Ministry of Agriculture is contracting a partnership with Precision Agriculture for Development Initiative. Has this really worked for Africa and Asia? Will it work at Brazil? Over to you, Herben. Uh, thank you, Marcos. I hope you're doing well in Brasilia. Um, now, um, I've, I've seen, I've, I've read about this, uh, uh, this contract or this uh, policy that the Minister of Agriculture is uh, setting up. Uh, it has to do with um, use of digital instruments or the ticks uh, to, to do extension. And if it works in Africa, I'm sure it will be very useful for Brazil. Uh, we have many similarities in the field in terms of access of uh, uh, information or the limitations rather uh, in various parts of Brazil, especially in Northeast area and uh, in the North. Uh, it's a quite, quite welcoming uh, news that the ministry is uh, attempting to do that. Uh, I have to point out though that um, we are lacking uh, the presence of the the official policies uh, to coordinate extension in the country. 
this is, is not good uh, because this tend uh, to jeopardize the interests of the, the, the poorest uh, uh, and benefit the, the wealthiest in the countryside. We have a huge gap in Brazil in terms of uh, wealth distribution in the countryside as well in the urban areas. Uh, and then the presence of official policies um, is vital to bring up or to build an equilibrium uh, so we can have a more even development, a regional development, local development. Uh, but of course, innovations as such as the, uh, these that the ministry is bringing in, uh, especially because it has been developed in Asia and Africa, is quite welcome uh, to Brazil, definitely. And Latin America as well, I must add. Thank you. The next question is for Suresh. Um, this is from Efioma Anogwa from University of Nigeria and Suka. The question is, how can rural farmers, especially women, have access to information from digital technologies considering their educational challenges? Suresh, over to you. Thank you, Catherine. Um, it's an important question. Uh, there is um, largely digital divide already in the society and Hurban talked about it. In remote areas, people do not have the necessary technologies that uh, we want for, for them to uh, get the information. But this divide is much more between men and women, particularly uh, women do not have access to cell phone, even a household may have access to cell phone, but their access is difficult. And even if they have access, it's also very difficult to look for information and, 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 and so on. The technology may not be up to the level. So there is a huge effort that uh, has to go in, in terms of taking advantage of uh, digital technology, internet of things as we develop, and also providing access to this di digital technologies for women. And there needs to be a particular emphasis on that. And this disparity between the access uh, of men and women needs to be recognized. And, and in the context of how they operate at the farm level, how they operate at the household level. So without understanding that context, it may be very difficult to, in a context specific situation, introduce the digital technology. But knowledge, uh, but also bringing uh, rural women to appreciate the role of digital technology through capacity building, through uh, group formation, and so that they can learn from each other is uh, uh, one of the fundamental ways in which, uh, at least in India, they have been uh, uh, working uh, through self-help groups to understand how technology can be used at that level. And that quickly spreads the knowledge of using the technology, accessing the technology, and, to the, uh, and the fact that the technology can help them in terms of information sharing. So uh, there is a long way to go, but we need to consciously invest in that so that we don't leave women behind in terms of this technological and digital revolution that we are talking about in extension. Thank you, Suresh. The next question is from Seba here from Turkey. And I will direct the question to you, Christine. The question is, how do you evaluate the working conditions of new extensionists, especially from non-public workers in developing countries? Over to you, Christine, for some remarks. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, thank you, Seba here. Yeah, the, the working conditions um, in developing countries in particular are, are not ideal. And we didn't also have time to share about this, but um, incentives 
for extension agents, uh, public or private, are low. Um, some countries have higher salaries. We saw uh, uh, Bangladesh, for instance, had a pretty decent public salary. Um, but uh, extension agents in Ethiopia, for instance, um, some of them are lacking equipment, they're lacking infrastructure, offices to work in. Uh, you know, it's hard to get across these muddy mountains uh, without transport. Sometimes you even need a mule to do so. Um, so the working conditions are a bit challenging in some rural areas. There's, there's a problematic internet connection. Um, which makes it also challenging to attract young people and attract new staff to go into the rural areas. Um, and so this is a big important uh, issue that needs to be addressed in terms of providing incentives, not only you know, decent salary, decent working conditions, but also simple things like rewards and recognition have been shown in countries like Ethiopia and others to, to be effective in, in stimulating you know, interest to be an extension officer and pride uh, in doing so. So I'll stop there. Thank you, Christine. So the next question is from Adriana Gregolin. And the question is, in the context of the pandemic, COVID-19, how can extension uh, services support farmers in rural communities? So I would like to hear uh, some thoughts and responses from Herben, from the Brazil you know, context, if there are you know, examples you know, there of how farmers are being you know, supported for Ben? Right, thank you, Adriana. Uh, hope you're doing well in Chile. Um, and uh, with your uh, cotton project, Latin America. Uh, look, uh, I think the pandemia is a challenge, but the challenge already existed. Perhaps we overlooked it. Uh, our cover, the coverage of extension uh, falls uh, very short in, in terms of uh, the number of families that require extension services. Uh, Brazil managed to, to reach uh, 500,000 from almost 5 million families, and that was a huge uh, effort to increase coverage. Uh, as I said, the poorest countries, the poorest farmers are the, are the ones that uh, lack more or uh, uh, have less access. So that's why I mentioned I'm a bit perhaps pessimistic in terms of uh, how this cycle of uh, extension is at the moment. Uh, it is uh, far from being adequate uh, in terms of uh, supporting uh, the rural sector as it needs and is required. The pandemia brought up uh, an issue that uh, uh, not even uh, the ones that we are reaching, perhaps we cannot reach anymore. And then it aggravates the situation. The use of um, digital um, uh, technology can help, will help, uh, but uh, we are not quite, uh, say, we don't know how to use it properly. It's not organized, it's not used. Now, I have to say the private sector uh, is doing much better than the public sector. The public sector is slower to introduce innovations. It goes uh, with the legal aspects and uh, even for an extensionist to use a, a cell phone is complicated because it, it can create uh, 
uh, workers, uh, say, problems for the institution. Uh, but then the pandemic, I would say, would precipitate a solution. Uh, in, we have an experience, a very good experience of a platform of a remote extension in Brazil that I think Adriana uh, knows it is in already introducing uh, in, in, in her project, in FAO project. And I think that's a way forward, an organized system of extension associating uh, assistance uh, presently and remote with a protocol based on the uh, ODS and uh, uh, with a very broad uh, objectives uh, in terms of development. I think indeed pandemia, uh, the pandemic is, is uh, helping us to recognize that we need to change and to introduce innovation extension. Um, but uh, I'm afraid we are still just starting it. Uh, and and uh, we're under pressure now, perhaps we develop uh, faster than we, we would do otherwise. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Christine, I will direct the question you know, to you. And um, the question is that the book is a massive you know, effort, a lot of countries, a lot of regions. How did you put things all together? Who was funding it? And as a researcher who wants to do these types of assessments, where can you know they get you know funding to do such you know like massive you know assessments in their country or region or wherever they want to do the analysis? Over to you, Christine. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for your question. And indeed, uh, this was a massive effort. It took many more years than we would have expected. Initially, we had uh, funding from the United States Agency for International Development uh, to the Global Forum for Rural Adver Advisory Services, GFRAS, to do you know, work on extension evaluation. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation were also involved. That got us started on the Brazil evaluation, um, but we were not able to get additional funds to do, we wanted to do two more countries. We thought of, of uh, India and uh, Uganda. Now, luckily enough, uh, Margaret and her colleagues for the Uganda chapter were already doing some work in Uganda that we were able to take up. Um, but basically, all of the editors, all of the authors for this book worked for free, worked on our own time to write up the chapters, to write up um, our results and so forth. We didn't have major funding to write the book. This is why I said it was dedication and passion that got us here. Um, what I think in going back you know, to the earlier questions about investment and extension and how do we get funding for it is, is basically, I think you know, we need to stimulate that interest. We need to show the evidence that we can with the means that we can perhaps on a smaller scale because these types of evaluations at the global scale and, and multi you know country initiatives do take a lot more money um, but basically you know that's how we got the funding the way that we sort of organized ourselves uh, to to bring together all these different pieces was as we said at the beginning this best fit framework there's a, a journal article called from best practice to best fit and that's what several of us have been talking about using context specific local relevant um, information and context to adjust our extension systems instead of you know putting training and visit down everywhere like was done in the past Thanks. thank you christine last question and again to you christine from sydney south africa and a very simple question. 
how will when will the book be available in the market christine <laughs> you can get it now thank you very much for the question you can download the book for free from ifpri's website um but you can also purchase the book those of you who like to feel paper and pages between your hands you can go to amazon.com google or Apple, and you can purchase the book. There's something called print on demand, which I had never heard of before, but you can buy our book for around $45 in hard copy if you would like. Thank you so much. Oh, we're running out of time. And uh, I would like to invite again the speakers for a very short 30 second final remarks. And I will start with Suresh, and then Herben, Margaret, and Christine. Over to you, Suresh. Thank you, Catherine. It has been a wonderful exchange of ideas and, and also a good launching of an effort uh, that has gone on for a few years now with uh, several colleagues from different parts of the world. Uh, and um, I, I would uh, like to thank the authors uh, of, for the contribution as uh, Kristen did. But my thought is like we need to keep the final beneficiaries, final people in mind when we think about the research, uh, uh, outreach and extension programs because without their uh, uh, information needs, understanding of their informa information needs, uh, whatever training or uh, extension programs that we put in place will not be uh, fruitful. And in terms of research, we need to be on the ground listening to them and, uh, and, and also look at the players and actors who are on the ground uh, uh, involving with the farmers and how do we bring the uh, extension system integrated well with the research and education system on the ground so that we can serve the, the uh, resource poor farmers, vulnerable farmers uh, of the developing world. Thank you. Thank you, Suresh. Herben? Thank you, Catherine. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I enjoyed very much, thoroughly, uh, being part of it, this launching. Um, I congratulate the authors and the institutions that develop this um, uh, quite substantial work along a very long time actually uh, is a piece of work that will be very useful for us i think that will contribute uh, and should and i will make an effort that uh, help it uh, it makes uh, brings uh, extension uh, back to the political agenda in the countries uh, otherwise it won't uh, uh, be able to perform it, the role it has and the potential it has to promote development. Uh, extension is a tool to support uh, people uh, in order to develop. Um, I'm afraid uh, it's not quite clear for many, many people, for polit uh, policy makers and funders, etc., and donors. Uh, it is a tool to help people to progress. And if people progress, the regions and, uh, and, and places and countries will progress. Uh, when it narrows down to a specific product uh, and looks into very uh, commercial side of, uh, which is also necessary, but then it focus on is that, then you lose the potential of extension. And that's probably one of the reasons that the extension uh, is losing ground uh, uh, lately in the last two or three decades. And to go back to its original purpose, make people uh, better off, uh, all kinds of people in the countryside. Thank you. 
thank you very much. And I hope the book really will be uh, read globally. Thank you. In the Spanish and the Portuguese translation. <laughs> Margaret, over to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, mine is on the, the need to make sure that research in extension is at the forefront in all countries, but because I'm representing Africa, I'll say in Africa, many countries have national agricultural research systems which fund research on agricultural commodities. And, you know, there is agriculture economics, maybe feasibility studies, adoption, but you don't see much of funding for research on agriculture extension systems and policies and methods and strategies. I would say, I would hope that this book stimulates understanding that this kind of work can actually be very, very helpful, useful, and it should be funded as part of the National Agricultural Research Systems Agenda. I saw the map that Christine showed us, the countries that were able to participate in this, and you could see that it was, it was patchy. There are many countries missing. So it's my hope that when we next do this, we should have all of Africa represented and hopefully the whole world. Thank you. Christine, your final remarks. Yeah, I'd like to follow up on that. Um, you know, from the research angle, um, and as an author of the, the best fit uh, framework that came out in 2006 and 2009, I, I think we'd like to really call for more ambitious objectives to assess and to evaluate extension and advisory systems. So I'm glad that Sydney and others are thinking of, you know, how can we do this? How can we better evaluate uh, extension and advisory services? We want to better explain the performance and say what caused this effect, that will give people like Herben and others who are trying to get that evidence to their policymakers, you know, that extension really works. We can we can show it through our research. So the best fit framework was originally developed to support such assessments, and we need a lot more of this kind of research. So I just call on, on people to to find the funding in different ways to, to do that research. Thanks. Thank you so much. Big thank you to all the speakers. And it has been very stimulating discussion. The topics covered, the questions you know, covered, it's very diverse, very wide, that also you know, suggests that agriculture extension is you know, very complex. And that the, the words that I keep on hearing is the need for coordination, the need for partnership. And I also you know, heard from the speakers, from the panelists, that this is a massive you know, effort. The depth of research and analysis is commendable. And that you know, this is a very good starting point. And the hope is to stimulate more attention, more funding into more in-depth and rigorous research on agriculture extension services, and also on the actual investment and funding for agriculture extension you know, services. So with that, I really thank the speakers. I thank everyone who joined us in this event live. And for those of you who will be watching the recording after the event. And I would like to invite you for our next policy seminar next Thursday. And the title is COVID, Global Markets, and African Agricultural Trade, Impacts on Growth and Food Security. With that, I thank you. I'm signing off and have a good day. Thank you, everyone.